of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Thursday, April 8th, I guess you could say Easter Thursday, during this glorious season of Easter where our Lord has risen, He has risen indeed. And in this resurrection reality, we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and the Word made flesh, who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And this light shines on us brightly today as we conclude 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul gives us his final instructions, which sometimes surprisingly, but maybe not so surprisingly in how we view the Word of God, that it still can apply to today. As Paul points us to this hope, he points us not only to instructions, but also to the hope that we have in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this tagline that I read the other day of 1 Thessalonians. Also, it applies to the whole Bible, but I love it for our text today. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming back. Stick with us as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the honor to have with us this morning Reverend Dr. Steve Shave of LCMS Urban and Inner City Mission and Director of LCMS Church Planting for the Office of National Mission. Pastor Shave, welcome to, back to Thy Strong Word. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. A blessed Easter to you and your family. How was your Easter? Oh, it was great. It's been uh, a little while because of COVID that we were able to go back home. Uh, Both of our parents have significant immune system issues, and so we've kind of kept our distance. So uh, I got to tell you, that first hug with mom and dad after about a year and a half was absolutely amazing and uh, really good to be back home in Ohio. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. So did you uh now are you are you a Cleveland Indians fan or a Cincinnati Reds fan? No, I'm I'm from the north. Uh I had to serve <laughs> quite a long time in the south, so it uh it was kind of funny being on the wrong side of the state. I went to uh Ohio State and it was kind of in the middle, but definitely growing up I was uh Cleveland all the way. Gotcha. Got you like the movie Major League then as well. Oh, it was a good one. I turned things around. I mean, they started winning, so you can't, can't right. complain. That's right. So, Pastor Shave, you've been on here for quite a while. Um, the Ice Wrong Word. Obviously, you've been involved in KFUO and different programs that we have. And I'll give you the title of the longest introductory titles that we have had so far <laughs> in three months. So, can you give us an idea what the opportunities that God gives you to serve the church? Yeah, sure. And I'm sure there might be more to come. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it really did start from me coming out of the urban setting. Uh, I will admit, uh, I was not really familiar with serving in the inner city when I got there. I became kind of a student, uh, and I was just very blessed. I had a congregation that really wanted to uh, reach out into their community and their neighborhoods again after a, a long time. I learned quite a bit about neighborhood renewal projects. I was on a steering committee there. I worked with local foundations, and uh, it was just amazing to see kind of the resurrection that happened with not only the congregation, but also the community around them. Uh, and so I was able to serve in the district kind of at a, a level as a vice president there, and then uh, ended up here at the Office of National Mission, uh, just trying to take a lot of the experience that I had um, from my former career in the corporate world to what I was doing there in the inner city. So I was uh, 
asked to be the director for Urban Inner City Mission. At the same time, we had just come out of a, a convention, and it was about a year after I started with the Office of National Mission um, that they started talking about, you know, and actually it's one of the first mission priorities, plant churches, and we mm-hmm. did not have a department for church planting anymore. And so I had also uh, went through the seminary, uh, a special program called the Mission Formation Program that was all about uh, preparing missionaries to work with districts to plant new churches. So then I was also asked, would I be willing to put together resources for church planting? And so from that came a new department, and that came the position uh, they wanted to have somebody that would be the director because there really wasn't anyone at the national level trying to coordinate efforts to start new churches. Wonderful. Well, God, God bless you in that. It's got to be a challenge to think of uh, starting mission churches during COVID era. Um, but still, obviously, that is how we reach people. That's how you reinvigorate congregations, obviously, through the word and the holy sacraments. Um, so I want to ask this. I've been asking this for a few a few of our guests this week, and it's been a lot of fun. Also asking you, our <laughs> listeners, what is your favorite Easter hymn? So, Pastor Shave, what is your favorite Easter hymn? Oh, man, that was actually probably the hardest part. Part of this whole thing, uh, <laughs> you know, like how do you choose? It's like choosing between your children. So I right, thought your that favorite was child, yeah, a little unfair. And I love you, man. I gotta, I gotta tell everybody uh, if there is ever a pastor who has been more. Uh, a supporter of urban ministry. Um, it, it's got to be you, Pastor Fernan. So I, oh. I just want to make sure I let everybody know what a what a great honor it's been to work with you too, and the amazing Thank work you. you and your youth. Uh, you know, in the cities doing what you do. So hats off to you guys. But anyways, back yeah, to the thank topic. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, back on the farm, we so, say, back in the farm. I knew like there's a couple popular ones. <laughs> Obviously, you start it right off with Jesus Christ is risen today. You can hear mm-hmm. trumpets in your ears as you're Absolutely. going through that one. So that's that's an easy one. And I know that I know my Redeemer lives is another one that's super popular. That one has some special meaning to me too, because I actually went from church planting to a 150-year-old almost inner city church. So I went from all the new members and baptizing whole families in a church plant, all that cool newness stuff going on to, man, I was doing so many funerals. I mean, it was like Mm -hmm. the devil just wanted to start fleecing the flock as soon as I got there. And Mm -hmm. just the hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives, it still kind of dwells in me from, from singing that so often. But also, uh, my wife and I uh, went through kind of a tragedy of our own where uh, she went into premature labor. We lost twins that were born uh, prematurely. And I'll never forget my pastor uh, walking me through the book of Job. And he especially pointed out, look at how Job is referencing how he will see his Redeemer who lives. He believes in the resurrection. He believes that he will see his Lord and Savior in the flesh. And not only that, he says, look what happens here where Job gets back double of everything that he has lost, but not his children. Why is that, Steve? And it's because he didn't lose his children. His children were waiting for him in heaven. So I can't sing. I know that my Redeemer lives without getting a little teary thinking about my boys in heaven and knowing I will see them in the flesh and I will see my Savior. But I got to say, the one... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) After all that. This is the one. This is the one. Is Luther's uh, hymn 458, 
Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands. And the reason I think it has so much significance is when you think about 2020, man, did it feel like we were just in the clutches for a whole year of, you know, unrest and uh, anxiety and suffering and grief and even death. It just felt like we were held there in the clutches. And the way Luther describes it, I can almost envision that, yes, when that stone uh, rolled shut on that tomb. It was like death had us in his clutches. And then as that stone rolls away, the strong bands, Jesus, you know, releases that chokehold on us and he sets us free from that tomb. And Luther just does it, obviously, just so eloquently as he talks about our true Paschal Lamb, who is the sacrifice that makes that possible. But absolutely, the one that gives uh, the most significance to me right now, I've got to say, is Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands and just to remember the joy of the resurrection. That is great. That is great. It says, here our true Paschal Lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood now marks our door. Faith points to it, death passes o'er, and Satan cannot harm us. And it ends, obviously, with alleluia. That is wonderful. Thank you for choosing that. We had one other uh, guest write in, and this one I've never thought about as an Easter hymn, but... At the Lamb's High Feast, we sing, 633. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And obviously, I've always loved the tomb. You know, but then verse 7, Easter triumph, Easter joy, this alone can sin destroy. From sin power, Lord, set us free. Newborn souls in you to be. Alleluia. I mean, this is this is so much fun. Yeah. And I, I did not want to make that the hardest part of our study of God's word, but I guess that's what happened. So, so um, anyways. Picking your kids. Who do you love most? Oh, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> so as we as we look at this, a reminder to you, our listeners, to write in your favorite hymn. Um, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and we will um, include it and talk about it. And it can even be outside of the Easter section in the hymnal if it obviously points to the resurrection. So today... As we now will go back in the farm once again to our scripture that we're looking at today, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. And as we are to search the scriptures, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? Sure. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather around your word. We ask that you would bless our time together, that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to know uh, that this is the solid foundation on which we stand. We give you thanks in this Easter season that we do have the sure assurance of our salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be mindful of the Uh, exhortations that Paul gives to us today, that we too should honor uh, those in leadership uh, who are there to serve us and to always be open to hearing your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to do this this morning, Pastor, is I'm going to read verses 12 through 28. So we get a taste of it. And I and for me, this is a double meaning because I I remember things the second time I read it better than the first time. And I think that's uh, true for, for many of us. So I want to read through it and then ask your thoughts on some introductory or background information as we conclude this wonderful epistle. So uh, 12 through 28, Paul writes, reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, we ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As we come to the end of this epistle um, and we look at these verses, any background or thematic or introductory things you want to start us off with to help us? Yeah, I was kind of thinking this just in the sense of church planting as well, that Paul is sent on these missionary journeys, and it had to have been difficult. I mean, you put your heart and your soul in starting a new congregation, um, and then if you have, you know, you're called by the Holy Spirit to move to the next place to bring the, the gospel, that's hard to leave that budding congregation behind and knowing, you know, obviously the wolf is going to try to come in and, and destroy what you uh, saw being started and you know you know that there's going to be the possibility of disunity that takes place and so you know I think Paul does an, a wonderful job obviously uh, talking to the congregation as individuals and especially as he gets to this point you know preparing them you know this he might not see them again before the day of the Lord when Christ returns and and any right. church planner that's started a congregation as the founding pastor and then has moved on and you can imagine if you're going to give kind of that last letter that last word you want to leave with them uh, including something that is so important that there will uh, be a return of Christ and I want you to be prepared and so Paul, Paul does a good job of, of talking about Christ's return and them as individuals, but now he's shifting towards, you know, the, the overall congregation, um, the, the idea of the shepherd and the, the flock, and he's going to tell them and kind of admonish them about how they are to be the very body of Christ, how they are to, to serve as one and in unity and always in prayer. I like how you said that because we, you know we've been digging through the epistles, plowing through the epistles, as I've been saying, um, with Second Corinthians until we get to today. And one of the beauties of what we've had is the reality that uh, Paul's a church planner, mm-hmm. and and so he, he, when I when I've talked to church planners, and and you've you've talked about this today is. You are the founding pastor, and then when God calls us to go somewhere else, that there's a lot of grieving with that. And when he writes, especially these verses, you can tell he definitely loves the Thessalonians. Um, at the beginning of this uh, epistle, too, we talked a lot about how you could tell there's so much joy that this church has thrived, that it has, has withstood the persecutions and the, the fears of the end times and all these things. So to have a, a you, you were on, on uh, how you call it, uh, brought back, appealed the onion a little more to show, yeah, Paul's writing also as a church planner. There's a lot of grief there, but also a lot of joy. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And and you remember all those wonderful moments. And again, um, it just becomes part of your the fabric of who you are when you're a church planter and you see people that come to the faith and come 
to the font and you know uh, people that didn't believe uh, you know in something like baptism and you are preaching about the widow of Nain and how Jesus through the waters of baptism brings children to life and it finally clicks for them you get to see those amazing things and you get to see a group of completely disparate people from all walks of life maybe and even different uh, theological backgrounds that, that through the word of God and the preaching and sacraments are truly united to be the one loaf and the one cup and there's there's nothing better and, and it's funny because I've I've gone back to my church plant and there were people that we did mercy ministry with and I would invite them every Sunday you know come to church and you know never took me up on my offer and then you go back like 15 years later and there they are like I must have asked you a, a hundred times to come <laughs> you know see it's not you you know you, you realize that you're just there to plant and, and God does the rest but what, what wow. a joy to know that God and his word you know it wasn't about you ever it was always about uh, the Holy Spirit working through the word and sacraments um, and so there's that great joy but then also you know um, you, you understand that when you leave this place and I mean it can be kind of egotistical I remember uh, somebody saying oh the church plan it can't survive without you and I'm like this is not built on the foundation right. of yeah. Steve Shave this is built on the foundation <laughs> of Jesus Christ <laughs> but things do happen and it is hard when you leave a, a congregation and you do, do see kind of the what we'll see later on with the the false teachings and the divisions and you know those things do come and that that's what breaks your heart is because you know here you are serving in this other place and you're just kind of a spectator now seeing these things happen and and again here's your kind of heart and soul and uh your you know your heart's being torn seeing that this is how it happens you know when when you leave absolutely and and here he's i mean there's a lot of imperatives here he's definitely giving them exhortation but he also is saying that just like a a, a founding pastor who writes to the flock afterwards and he doesn't tell them, by the way, whatever that new guy is telling you, it's not true, you know, <laughs> but he's telling them and reaffirming exactly what another pastor would be saying. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a definitely a, uh, uh, a grief that's there, but also a uh, the ministry was never founded on Paul, as he says in other epistles, but he points it back to Christ. So let's dig in the first two verses, because I think that really hits home is what we're talking about. Verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So right there, he gives them a certain kind of exhortation. What is he telling them to do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think pastors have seen this too. Like when you have to fill in somebody's footsteps, you know, if there's been a pastor who was there for like 25 years and the people loved him and then the new guy shows up and, you know, um, things might change, whatever it might be, it's not hard for people to get upset. And so here he is telling the congregation, uh, respect those who labor among you and are over you and the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So this wasn't some high holy office. It wasn't that they had some special DNA that was less sinless than others. But this this respect he's asking them to have for them is because of the work that they're doing. And it's hard work. And even through COVID, it's been even harder work um, being a minister of the gospel. And so he's, he's asking them to please respect those who are laboring in the gospel um, who God has called 
uh, as shepherd over them uh, and as they admonish you that you should continue to esteem them uh, and to love them, uh, even though they are broken sinners as much as anyone else um, because of what God has called them to do. Um, Continue to respect and esteem your elders and uh, those in leadership. And this points us to small catechism with the table of duties, mm. what the hearers owe their pastors, and it quotes these exact verses. And, and you know, you look at that and you, and you can separate it from the emotions of it all, but also uh, who's Paul writing to them, you know that who's ever leading them, whether it was, you know, he sends Timothy back or whoever is there, that you really appreciate that. It's kind of like if you come into a new church and the pastor who's been there 30 years, whether he's there or somewhere else, writes in and says, this is your pastor. This is where, uh, this is the guy that that God has called to this place. How much that means to you, the new guy, mm-hmm. that he writes something like that. And I think Paul's doing that. He's like the, you know, he's the, the founding pastor who's saying, by the way, this has been about Jesus. So respect him as God has called him to that place. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it's important to separate the person from the office. I mean, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to the office of holy ministry that was, you know, consecrated, instituted by Christ. And so, yes, this person might have a different personality. They might have different strengths and weaknesses. I know the pastor that followed me, I was just talking about the church plant. He took the congregation to completely different places. I probably wouldn't. I mean, they were on their third building program, starting a preschool, youth groups got a bus. I mean, just amazing stuff and continuing to do a lot of the ministry we were doing in terms of outreach. But, you know, these are two different people. But what matters is the office has Mm. been instituted by Christ for this set purpose that this this shepherd over the flock is called uh, to provide the word and sacrament to his people. And so, yeah, I think it's it's important to focus on not just the, the person, but that this is an office that Christ himself has instituted. And this is good for us pastors as well, is that when we speak about our predecessors, I think about my own congregation where I serve, and and there's uh, I'm the fourth pastor of this congregation. By the way, my congregation, all the pastors have had four children. So that's going to be that's going to be in the call documents someday. You have to have four kids to be pastor of this church. But anyways, it is uh, each one of them had great strengths. One pastor was incredibly organized, like he had everything organized and laid out the foundation for this congregation to be able to make sure every duck's in order as far as the finances and and the order of the Constitution and the order of what we do. And also with that and keeping us focused on Christ and others worked well with youth and others worked well with um, connecting to the community. And you look at that and it's a good reminder for us to write what Paul writes is how can we speak high respect as it says those who labor after us or before us and to esteem them with high like you said because it's about the office of the preaching and bringing of the gifts mm-hmm. as opposed to me uh, like you said it's not uh, built on the foundation of Steve <laughs> or uh, of Brady it is built on the foundation of our Lord Jesus let's keep moving on as we have many more uh, exhortations and um, um, things to really look at. I'm I'm excited about our verses. So let's move on to 14 and 15 as we have just a few more minutes before our break. Paul writes, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now there's there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things here that he instructs the church to do. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean it starts with him saying, "Be at peace 
you know, uh, because again, it's easy for a congregation uh, to be torn apart. And we see that on a daily basis, how the devil comes in and tries to divide us. And so he's saying that here, here is something that we're urging you then uh, to help to keep the peace. And that is, we do need to admonish the idol. Um, you know, he's specifically um, pointing out idleness as being uh, sinful here in verse 14, you know, that all people have responsibility, not just the leaders, but this whole community. And then he goes on to explain that there will be people. Um, and it's funny, you know, we talk about helping the weak. There's always somebody stronger. You know, we always uh, go about it as I am stronger than somebody else, you know, but it's always relative. No one is as strong as God. So if we're going to do right. comparison, compare yourself to the strength of Jesus Christ. If you could take yourself off of the cross, if you could have walked away from the Garden of Gethsemane to save yourself, uh, who among us would have done this? So, you know, he's he's telling us to encourage then those who are faint-hearted. He's saying, help those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. You know, be mm. patient with them all because we all, again, have our own weaknesses. And if we are to compare ourselves um, to the long-suffering, patient Savior Jesus Christ, you know, we all fall very short of that. So that is how we have peace is forgiveness. That is how we have peace is that we continue to encourage and help and be patient. And that's helpful, too, because he's speaking of these things that Jesus did himself, admonishing the idol, the idol mm-hmm. encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, and be patient with all. And, and also patience. I love how you said that about patience because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, I think if we all lined up and, and we were to ask each other, um, uh, ask each other just what things you struggle with, I think a majority of us would say patience. Yeah. I mean, because we just get very, very impatient in, in almost everything that we do. And so thank God it is, thanks be to God that it is a fruit of the Spirit as opposed to from within ourselves. Um, so Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. He did all these things. Paul is exhorting us to do the same thing, knowing that this all comes from the Holy Spirit and a gift from our Lord Jesus. Um, so no, it goes on and says, no one repays evil for evil, seek to do good. What is he telling us there? Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about a couple of things, even Jesus in his high priestly prayer, when he asked God that we would be one, and what a, uh, what a witness it is to the world to see that kind of unity. And that means that, again, becoming the one loaf, the one cup, no matter what your color, no matter who you voted for. I mean, we don't always agree on everything. We are not exactly the same, but we don't repay someone who is evil with evil, but we instead seek good to one another and to everyone, even those we might not agree with. Again, this is another way of bringing about this peace that he's talking about. And we do good. That's what's, you know, even our enemies, you know, we reap, uh, heap the hot coals on their heads by doing good. And it's not something we have to force ourselves to do. Again, this is who we are in Christ. Christ never repaid our evil with evil, but instead he sought for our good for one another and for everyone. And that is what we in Christ do as well, Even, even loving our enemies and also those that we might not agree with, we still seek to do good. 
And thank you again for pointing it back to Christ. Christ did the same thing. Didn't repay evil for evil, did good for one another and for every single person. But we want to dig more into this with even more imperatives that actually gets even more exciting in my mind as we go through the rest of these verses. But right now we need to take our break. Uh, We are studying with Pastor Steve Shave, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with Pastor Steve Shave. And Pastor, I have another question for you that's a lot of fun. This is a personal <laughs> note, but I ask everyone who lives in St. Louis area, because actually I'm coming to St. Louis in a few weeks. I'm super stoked. Uh, what is your favorite restaurant in St. Louis? All right. Fair enough. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So I would, I got to put a caveat on this. You know, I like Chicago style pizza. So St. Uh-oh. Louis pizza places are out for me, but <laughs> you can't go wrong with the barbecue here. You, ah. you can pretty much pick any, I mean, I'm telling you some of the best barbecue I've ever had is at a gas station down the street from my house. They set oh it my. up in the parking lot. There's a giant, I don't know what it means, but there's a great big pink elephant, right? And a tent. And that's how I, I recognize like, oh, that's where it is. But um, I'm gonna say, but all of all of them, my, that's my favorite because it's more of a local. It's not as chainy. Um, sure, Smoky Moe's, Smoky Moe's in Arnold. Mo's. Yeah, and it's in spelled, Arnold, Missouri. It's, it's spelled funny. It's S M O K E E, and uh-huh. then M O for Missouri. Um, so like, show me, but Smoky Moe's. And Got then it. when you go inside, not only do they have the best food, but because Mo is in the name, they have Three Stooges playing the whole time. Oh, that is wonderful. So, that is wonderful. Yeah, wow. You got the entertainment and you got the best barbecue in town. So. Oh, I got three days. I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in, <laughs> but this is great. By the way, the, none of these places are receiving any props from us. We're not getting any money from this. It's simply <laughs> me desiring to eat when I come to St. Louis. There you go. So here we are. We are at verse 16. We've been speaking explicitly, not explicitly, we've been talking a lot about the instructions of Paul. Paul loves the Thessalonians. He wants what's best for the Thessalonians, that they would be looking to Christ. He gives thanks for that. But also, like all of us, we need direction. We need to a reminder of what Christ has done for us and also a reminder of how then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how we are to live. So verse 16, I want to go through these next just verse by verse because there's, there's so much in such few words. <laughs> verse 16, rejoice always. Here's another fruit of the Spirit. He tells us to rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice, Pastor? Yeah, and I think, you know, 
and it, what a short verse, but rejoice always. That's a lot harder to me than it might sound. I mean, mm. yes, we have faith and we have the Easter joy, um, but when you lose a loved one, when you lose your job, you know, when things are, uh, you know, most anxious in your life, uh, I don't think it's always easy to rejoice in those things, but I, mm. I think it has a very realistic sense to it that there is going to be, as you said, the fruit of the Spirit being an ongoing joy. And that is always going to be there. I'm not rejoicing in the fact that I lost my loved one. I'm rejoicing in the fact that I will be with them again in heaven. I have a future hope. What I am rejoicing in is a sure future hope of the resurrection. And we know that that is uh, true because the stone was rolled away. Christ is risen. And so we always then can rejoice no matter what the circumstance, because we are bearing our cross. Um, we are in Christ. We follow in his footsteps. And that means, yes, suffering. Yes, the cross. Yes, the grave. But it also means outside and the empty tomb and the resurrection. And so that's that's how it is that we rejoice always as I see it. And, you know, I think this connects with what you said so well before. First of all, Paul does this in, in Philippians, rejoice mm. in the Lord always. Again, <laughs> I will say rejoice. And obviously it's in the Lord. Mm. And you connected it so well with, with speaking about your two boys mm. that passed away, that uh, the joy you have is when you sing, I know my Redeemer lives, mm -hmm. is that reminder that the joy may not be right now, but the joy of what's going to happen in the future and the, the joy that is still yet to come. So even in that grief, you are still able to have joy because our Lord has done all the work for us and reminds us that there will be complete joy someday. Um, yeah, so I, I appreciate how you connected those things and, and it points us to how we can still have joy even in moments of grief. Any last thoughts on joy? Uh, just that this is a commandment. I mean, even when Paul says it to the <laughs> Philippians, you know, he he's, he says it twice there. He's very emphatic about how we are to rejoice always and be careful that when we're not rejoicing, that really is a sign of our, our unbelief. Uh, mm. And that is to be in check that, you know, if there if there is something that's keeping me from rejoicing, um, that's that's my own lack of faith. Uh, that That is something that I need to really take a good look at, like, Okay, ultimately, though, um, you know, what is keeping me from rejoicing? Um, nothing, uh, again, because everything that could cause me harm, Christ has already atoned for and Christ is risen. So, um, yeah, just a, a reminder that he is very emphatic, that we should always keep and be mindful of the fact that there is something to rejoice in and, and to be cautious when something's keeping us from rejoicing. Right. And then he connects it to verse 17. Hmm. He continues, pray without ceasing. And, and, and I use this all the time. And, and what is it? I read wrong, one commentary that said, clearly, you can't just be praying all the time vocally. <laughs> right. You can't do, you know, in the middle of, I mean, can you imagine the middle of you're trying to do your work at the IC and you're just, you're just praying the whole day? Like, <laughs> hey, we need to get something done here, buddy. You know, something done. Um, so what does he mean by pray without ceasing? Yeah. And like you said, it's kind of, again, this idea of the gift of the Spirit and always being ready to pray. I think there is kind of, a, as you said, by faith, this posture of being in prayer. And I you know, also know that it's spoken of in, in the Book of Concord as well, that um, 
he gives us the Lord's Prayer uh, to always be there uh, to continue to pray and how we are to pray, and that, you know, by God's grace, we know that he hears our prayers, not because of anything in us, but solely by his merciful goodness. God is always ready to hear. But that, yeah, we do have this posture of constant uh prayer before God, that we are quorum Deo, we are before God uh, at all times, and that he is ready to hear us and strengthen us, and that he will keep and hold us firm in the faith um, throughout uh, each moment of our day. And it reminds me of, goes back, small catechism, reminder to our listeners that that the more that I've gone through these epistles, the more I've been on this program, especially, I'm like, wow, this all connects to the small catechism. <laughs> Luther knew what he was doing. But in the introduction of prayer, he says this, and I think it connects with our daily lives, too. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children. This is our identity. So with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. Now, I, I'm intrigued by this thought, and I want yours because my kids are 15 down to 10. <laughs> and and so this is a new stage for us, um, especially coming out of COVID. But your kids are even older than that. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I've noticed when I read this is that I'm around. I mean, I'm, I'm there, but my kids don't necessarily want me want to be around me, you know, kind of thing. And so, so, you know, I'm in the, in the house and I'm upstairs, but they're downstairs doing their own thing or they have friends, da, 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 da. It doesn't mean that I'm not available, it, you know, and it's not that I'm not there, but, but the goal is as a father that they are willing to come to me when they need something, not just food, obviously, but <laughs> then they need something or need some guidance or that they're in the car and we're able to talk and those kind of things. And I see that with our relationship with God, as he says here, is that, you know, um, he's always there. Clearly, you're not talking to him the whole time, but yet he's always there. And there's that opportunity to pray and come to him without worry. Any thoughts on that as a father and as a God and all that? Not, <laughs> not as God, but with God. With God. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll just say it doesn't get any easier <laughs> because we were a very tight-knit family. You know, we moved uh, a few times because of the ministry and that sort of thing, and we, we were always very, very close. And then, uh, yeah, they get to the age that you're talking about. And then imagine, like, because, again, you kind of devote your life around your family in a, a lot of ways. Uh, and then there's the empty nest, man. Oh, brother. Yeah, my my yeah. son just graduated. He's now off to college, and that is painful. I I mean, it, it mm. hurts to kind of have that uh, separation. But like you said, it kind of leads into this because they're growing up and, you know, it's not as cool to hang out with dad. You want to hang out with your friends, but you don't love them any less. You know that they still love you just as much. They still respect you and want to hear from you and they want your opinion. Yes, they want your credit card number or your Amazon <laughs> password. Yes, this is true too, because they know you'll provide for them as well. Um, but I got to say, it's kind of funny because of COVID. That was like one of the best parts of the whole thing is like I had all the little birds back in the nest. They were stuck with me. They couldn't go out and hang out with their friends. And we had so much fun. I was just watching this uh, video from a year ago today. We had puppy races because we we just got these two new puppies and we were all 
you know, we're just trying to find things to entertain ourselves. So we uh, we held a little puppy race to see who would win, uh, who could eat their oh. treats in the line the fastest. But anyways, just yeah. it was so much fun that we were all gathered together. And, you know, that kind of reminds you of heaven, too. The, it's all culminating. We do want to be in the Father's presence. You know, ultimately, there's nothing better than all being gathered as one and to be there with the Father in person, um, being able to, to communicate, uh, you know, the Father uh, that's ultimately what brings that kind of hope, and that's that's the thing that gives us this this joy. But yeah, um, as a, as a parent, that's uh, that's a tough part is when the kids grow up and you know they need to go out on their own. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, here we are. Lord have mercy, and and this is a, a good reminder for all of us to pray for our parents of teenagers and empty nesters as you go through that stage. Um, reminder: think of someone in your own life right now that you need to pray for, and here's an opportunity to pray without ceasing. Hmm. Verse eighteen: Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Giving thanks. This is, to me, I find this is why as Americans, it's wonderful to have Thanksgiving Day is because it makes all of us stop and say, okay, what can I give thanks for? And it's a good reminder that Paul gives us here. What does it mean to give thanks as a Christian? Yeah, and it's interesting. It's it's funny because I think I've been to some you know, third world nations where they, ha- they it would seem like they have so little to be thankful for, but they seem to give the most thanks. I mean, every mm. single meal, you know, when they give thanks, man, do they give thanks because they, they don't always know where the next meal is coming from. And as you said, in the United States, it's easy for us to take a lot of things for granted and not just like mm. be so thankful in, in everything. But it also goes beyond that. Um, it's easier to give thanks for the good things. It's harder to give thanks for the difficult things, especially as you think about Paul, who's writing this, beaten with rods, dragged out into the courtyard, you know, um, martyrs all around, you know, Christians um, tortured and killed. I mean, those are the things that, are you telling me to give thanks in every right. circumstance? And it again, it is yes, because it's, it takes us back to the cross. It, it Even in the worst of circumstances, we know that we are following in the footsteps of our Savior, even, even in the suffering, even in the grieving, even in the dying. Um, we can be thankful in every circumstance because we know where this path will lead us. It will lead us not just to Golgotha. It will lead us into the garden in paradise. In Colossians three, where he came up in my mind, whatever you do in word or do do word or deed, excuse me, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, and and I, I love how that giving thanks to God the Father through Him, meaning it is the Lord who will help us to give thanks in those difficult times. I had a a, a person that I had visited in the hospital, and and she said, "Can we give a prayer of thanksgiving?" I mean, she was going through a really rough spot, and I was kind of asked her like. What do we want to give thanks for? And she said something along the lines of, of um, I know God works for all things hmm. for his good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give thanks for what God will do through this. Which then I'm like, I don't think she needs a pastor. I think she should be my <laughs> pastor right now. <laughs> She's figured it out. <laughs> exactly. So let's keep moving along here. We have much more to go through. 19 and 20. Hmm. Do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. 
these two here were kind of like, oh boy, <laughs> what does this mean? And so since uh, the most difficult part for you was an Easter hymn, this must be easy. So what do you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not as though we could quench the spirit. The spirit works as the spirit works. And, you know, again, going back to all those things we're talking about, we have to trust that they were all the will of God and Christ Jesus for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as though we are going to quench the spirit. But, you know, as you were mentioning before about all those things being the fruit of the spirit, um, in our unbelief, absolutely, um, we don't pray. Uh, we don't give thanks. We're not rejoicing. Um, and, and those are the things the fruits that we do quench, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. so tied into that, one of the most important things in terms of, uh, you know, how, how do we have the fruit of the spirit is through the word and sacraments. So, you know, it kind of do not despise prophecies to me very much relates to the third commandment that we should not, not despise preaching in the word. Um, you know, because when we despise prophecies, we're, we are despising the prophetos, and that is the one who is the messenger of God's word. And mm-hmm. so that there's no faster way to quench the spirit than to despise preaching in the word and not to assemble and gather around the word and the sacraments. That is that is very helpful because we can go on to like, well, are you saying that if someone predicts something, we shouldn't despise them? And I think it's very helpful for us to see uh, where does uh, what is what is a prophet? Those who preach the word of God, um, and and what is how do we get the spirit from the word of God? And so, don't deny the third commandment. I mean, once again, it goes back to the small catechism, and mm-hmm. and it comes back to this simplistic understanding of how does the spirit come, who is a prophet, and always goes back to the word of our Lord. Um, other thoughts on that? This is a very helpful distinction. Uh, yeah, just again, in general, you know, now now is the time to gather uh, as God's people, never uh, more than now uh, in a hurting and broken uh, nation. Do we need to get back uh, to prayer and the word and to gather around God's sacraments for us? One time I had an auto body guy in Wisconsin when I, I served four years in, in near Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and had an auto body guy who actually was a couple blocks from us. And he was a good Wisconsin Senate guy, and him and I had a lot of good conversations. And he made a comment one time. He said, you know what? A lot of guys ask me here why I go to church. And he said something along the lines of, you know, all the hours of the week that I can be um, with the Lord at least for an hour. And at first I was like, I don't, does that work? I'm trying to think of this makes sense. Is that, is that good? Da, da, da. But, <laughs> but his big thing was, you know, here it is. I'm not despising this. I mean, being in the word of God. And that's an encouragement for all of us that even this guy probably got a lot of flack for that. Well, why are you going to church? Da, 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 da. And he's like, Hey, I can at least give God an hour. And I, you know, you can kind of look at that and well, you get more than God an hour and da, da, da. But it's a good reminder for us. There it is. That's where the Holy Spirit is. Here's where the prophet is. Here's the the gifts that our Lord has given to us, and why not go and receive it? So for you, our listeners, um, obviously you're hearing the Word of God now, but also don't neglect your congregation and the, the gifts that are being given there. So let's keep moving on. Based on the Word of God, do not despise it. Now there's going to be temptations. How do we look at that, and how do we make sure that we're staying in the Word? Verse 21 and 22. But test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every, from every form of evil. He says, test everything. What does he mean by this? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. We started with holding to esteem the office of 
holy ministry, respecting Uh, those who are laboring in the word. So this isn't like I'm constantly trying to do a gotcha. I mean, that person in the Bible study that's trying to stump the pastor kind of a thing. Um, But it is, you know, when something strikes your ear wrong, um, you know, even those in leadership, as it speaks here uh, in his final instructions, are are held to this. And so um, if something doesn't sound right, we are to test it against something, right? So test, test everything. Um, and, you know, if somebody comes knocking on your door, uh, they're of a different denomination than, say, the Lutherans, and they start saying things and they sound kind of odd to you and it doesn't sound quite right, you know, one of the easiest things you can do is find out what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe mm-hmm. about the lordship of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the Trinitarian nature of God? Do you believe when Jesus says, you know, um, I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Do you believe that God uh, consists of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's a really simple test, <laughs> mm, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So there, there are ways that you test against what the prophet is speaking. Does it come from the word of God? Right? Did this come from the Holy Spirit, or is this something that was uh, a false teaching uh, that was man-made? So it's not to disrespect, it's not to not hold it to esteem those who are called uh, to be prophets and messengers of God, but that we are, when something isn't right, you know, um, we're all accountable uh, to false teaching. And how we test it, and you said this so well, how we test it is based on the word of God, the simple, you know, who is Jesus? What is the Trinity? Um, we base it on the word of God, our, uh, uh, the formula and the formula of Concord, uh, the epitome, as when they go through the summary right at the beginning, just bring this up. And it says that the word of God is our only touchstone. And this is how you must discern, discern and judge to see if this is good or evil. Hmm. And, and I love how he puts that in the middle of all of this is, you know, don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies and test everything how by the word of God. And it is kind of funny. Yeah, there, there are times where people want to, uh, you know, they want to uh, stump the pastor. And so <laughs> they might use this passage against you a little bit. Hey, but, it's good to sharp yeah. iron, sharp iron. There you go. Exactly. Let's keep, let's keep going here. We have about seven minutes left, and I definitely want to get through all this. 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. I'm going to stop there just because of other things. But here he talks about being sanctified. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. So this is to be, you know, um, God's people. So even when we think about church planting and what church means, it means that this is an assembly of believers that are sanctified. And Luther goes on to say that what what is it that makes them sanctified? What is it that makes them God's holy people? It is the holy word of God and the holy sacraments. That is what makes them to be set mm-hmm. apart and consecrated to be his people. And so it's not our own actions you know, just as much as I can't justify myself, I can't sanctify myself either, but it comes uh, from God alone. And so through his word and his sacraments, um, I am justified, and also um, God sanctifies me completely. And this is where um, 
where he talks about the God of peace. So through God's peace, mm. in Colossians it says uh, that the, the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so you think of that kind of flowing down, Holy Spirit coming from that and making us holy. So we, when we're preaching and when you're at the church, you're, you're among the holy ones, the mm. saints. And that's good for us to remember, too, that we're not here to beat each other up, but we're here to say, wow, we are in Christ and how, we, how can we give thanks? How can we pray? all those instructions that he's given to us. Um, so let's keep moving on here. Uh, verse 24, actually I'll go all the way to the end. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray with us, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he calls God faithful um, and he will surely do it. What, what does it mean that we have a faithful God? Yeah, God keeps his promises, uh, ultimately, is what it means when, when he who calls you is faithful. And, you know, even if we don't feel it, you know, even if you think that, you know, I've committed this grave sin that God could never forgive, he made a promise through the work of his son that he fulfilled the law Every one of our sins uh, he bore on the cross for us, and he promises when we repent and turn back to him for forgiveness, he will be faithful and just and forgive us of our sins. So that's such a good thing to remember. You know, and you look at that word before and the the verse before, blameless. Man, that mm. is a hard word because it doesn't seem like there's any way I can stand before my judge and be considered blameless. But because God has called me, God has enlightened me, God has justified me, God has sanctified me through and through, I can always have firm confidence that he is faithful. He will keep his promise and that is of the forgiveness of all my sins. And this does bring us back, of course, to the small catechism, who has called me by the gospel and lighted me with his gifts and kept me in the one true faith. Um, reminded us that that it is Lord who calls us. And that's an important thing for us to remember, too, that it's God who does this. And he, he, God, is, God is God and he's called me. Um, let's trust in what he has to say for us. Uh, one of the verses here, we have about three minutes left here, Pastor. Verse 25, I think it was really a neat thing to say, brothers, pray for us, because often we're asking other people, hmm. um, how can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. But here he's saying, pray for me. And this is, I think this is that body of Christ at work, is that we're not just here to, um, to, to, to how do you say, there's times where we have to say, I need your help. Mm-hmm. And so what? how powerful is that? How have you seen that work in the church? About three minutes left here. Yeah, so uh, it's two things. One is that he's taking this posture of humility, saying that I am not Superman. I need your prayers. I need uh, you and I need God. And at the same time, he understands the walk that he is taking and, you know, the persecution and the suffering that is to come. And he also knows that he needs others praying for him uh, that he might have the strength to endure, not to fall into the more popular, you know, false teachings or whatever is going on that's going to pressure him or even literally being imprisoned or tortured. He wants to have the congregation that he loves and that they love to be constantly in prayer for him also. And this is something where I want, we're at the end of these verses, and we have about a minute and a half here. How would you sum up these words in these last verses from Paul to the Thessalonians? Oh, you know, he's kind of holding them kind of to a vow that this letter is written to you and it is the 
good news of Jesus Christ and keep on proclaiming this good news. Even after I'm long gone, generation after generation, continue to preach this good news through this letter to all the brothers. And then he doesn't just end it with kind of a, a farewell, uh, you know, and a goodbye. This is a benediction. And, you know, mm. when a pastor gives you that benediction, you know, it is truly he is blessing you through the word of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He is delivering God's grace that it would be with you in all your days. And that is how Paul wants to leave his church with that benediction that he may place the very grace of God on them. As, as, we, as we've said, and you've said this so well, it is not built on, on the Steve uh, <laughs> of which we stand, but is built on the rock where our Lord has given to us. Reverend Dr. Steve Shave of LCMS Urban and Inner City Mission and Director of LCMS Church Planting for the Office of National Mission, helping us today conclude our study of 1 Thessalonians and pointing us once again to Christ. Pastor Shave, thank you for being our guest. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Saints of our Lord, Paul's last instructions are helpful for us today as they were then. As long as we understand that it is the Lord who makes us holy, it is the Lord who calls us, and this Lord is faithful, faithful even to the point of death on the cross, and faithful to conquer that death as we celebrate this Easter. As we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm.